We talked recently about how the Beatty and Stone families do Christmas. Like I said, Sharon Stone, she goes all out with the decor. Well, you'll be in Colorado in a couple of weeks to enjoy that. But until then, you get to experience all the magic of a New York City Christmas. There really is nothing like it. The tree at Rockefeller Center, ice skating, and my favorite, eggnog at the Tavern on the Green in Central Park. Is it spiked? Of course it is. Okay, adding that to the list. I, for one, love the sidewalks full of Christmas trees and wreaths for sale. They smell so nice when you walk by. It's a sign that New York is really ready for Christmas. I do love them, but those trees are a bear to haul up to your apartment. Hey, I've seen your arm muscles recently. Girl, you've got this. <laughs> from Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women making New York home while staying true to our roots. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief, best-selling author, national speaker, and public historian, Jamar Tisby. They've answered every question definitively such that there's no more room for mystery, for questioning, for curiosity. That rigidity is really what I think hampers the witness of evangelicals today. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Speaking of the Rockefeller Christmas tree, one of my absolute favorite New York City Christmas stories happened about a year ago. Mm -hmm. It is the cutest. Every year, the city hauls in this huge spruce and they set it up outside Rockefeller Center and light it and have a lighting ceremony. But last year, there was a teeny tiny stowaway in the tree. Yes, I remember that. It was like a little saw-wet owl. He clung to those branches for like hundreds of miles. And of course, they named him Rocky. He was so cute. I wanted to adopt him. Rocky knows what it's like to be dropped in the middle of a bustling city and be a little freaked out. And that's kind of how he looked felt. terrified. <laughs> We might have been projecting a little bit, but his eyes were so big and he actually looked kind of angry that he had been <laughs> disturbed. We know what it feels like to show up in New York and feel a little overwhelmed ourselves. It's true. New York is a lot to take in for tiny baby owls and middle-aged women moving from flyover country. That's why it's been important for us to keep some of the traditions from back home to remind us where we came from. I remember my first Christmas here. You know, I had just moved here a couple months before that. And as many of our listeners know, I had recently gone through a divorce. And so much of coming to New York was like starting fresh. Christmas, though, is all about tradition. Mm -hmm. So it felt like, how do I how do I do Christmas in a new way? But what do I still hold on to? And speaking of those trees on the streets, I definitely wanted to do that. And I had a lot of like romantic notions around what it would be like to get a tree at the little corner market and haul it through the bustling streets. Mm -hmm. Like when Harry met Sally. Yes. So I did that. And I, of course, you know, roped in a few friends. They came over and we went just down the street and got the tree and they wrapped it up. And then, yeah, we just like, I carried the top of the tree on my shoulder and my friend carried the stem and we like walked down the street 
And then we carried it up four flights of stairs <laughs> into my apartment. That's the part that really makes me nervous. Honestly, it was much more work getting it out of the apartment, which is also less fun. But it really, it was fun. And then my, you know, it was huge, of course, even though it was like a tiny tree in comparison, it was still big in my apartment, (laughs) a lot bigger, Mm -hmm. but it makes the entire apartment smell amazing. Mm -hmm. We had like some kind of festive drink. I don't remember now. My friend swears it was mulled wine, but I don't remember making mulled wine. So we had something and then we listened to Christmas records and decorated, but it was, you know, which was very traditional, but it was for me like my first real Christmas alone. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I was unpacking these Christmas decorations and had gotten rid of most of the ones that we'd gotten together in our marriage. But a lot of what I was unpacking was like my grandma's Christmas ornaments and the mm-hmm. the popcorn strand that my mom made, which is more like it looks like popcorn, but it's actually like crochet. I was going to say, tree. how do you keep the popcorn yes, fresh? It's not like real she... popcorn. Right, right. But it's very fun. And even then it felt like a mix of, okay, this is my new life in New York City, but here's mm-hmm. all of these like heirlooms and reminders of the traditional family Christmases that I'd always had. I I mean, similarly have tried to figure out which traditions to keep on my own in New York. And I think part of the question or the rationale, especially as someone living alone is like, why put up the decoration? Like, is it even worth keeping traditions right. when there's nobody really to enjoy it with me? Share them with, yeah. And, it, you know, it can be a lot of work. It can be expensive. But I think maybe especially for single people, like trying to build a new life in New York, it is important to set aside those traditions, to honor them, to either, you know, keep ones that you have or to come up with your own as a way of marking like a time in your life and saying this matters to me. Mm -hmm. Traditions don't just matter if you have a family. They matter as someone inhabiting time and space and wanting to mark the season. I mentioned a couple episodes ago that my mom has this nativity set that her mom, my grandmother, made for her several years ago. My mom made me a nativity set (laughs) that's very Mm -hmm. similar to the one that she has. And I set it up. Um, do you, you sh- put out the crucifixion nail like your mom? <laughs> I do not own a crucifixion nail, neither, neither a real one nor a replica. It's a little crucicentric for my taste. I do put out baby Jesus before Christmas, but mm-hmm. that process of unpacking it and setting it up and putting up the light mm-hmm. and putting up other lights and usually mm-hmm. I'll buy some garland, you know, or some, what is it called? Swag, you know, the swag. <laughs> it's like it's basically like cut branches of pine trees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually put I put my decorations, some Christmas decorations up yesterday and I wasn't expecting to actually like I, I didn't last year because I went home early. Like I went home at the beginning of December. I don't know. I just wasn't planning to. I wasn't going to get a tree or anything. And then the mood hit the Christmas spirit hit yesterday and I hauled out my boxes and I don't think I'm gonna get a tree or maybe I'll get one of those baby trees that are like potted you know yeah um but I did put up pretty much everything else I put up lights and my nativity and I don't know it did fill me with some warmth and nostalgia and Christmas cheer 
So you are going to go home for the holidays, right? Yes, I'll go home in a couple weeks. When you go, are there ways you've started to notice that New York has changed you? I feel like I always feel that most when I go home. So there are certain ways that I still feel like a Midwesterner in New York. Like I definitely feel like a transplant. Mm. I think there's a baseline frugality that my parents instilled me with that I'm mm-hmm. very cognizant of in a place like New York. I don't like pretense. I think that's another Midwest, like salt of the earth. Who Don't try to mm-hmm. pretend that you're more than you are. But then, yeah, when I go home, I'm like, oh my gosh, have I, have I changed? Am I actually a New Yorker coming back to Ohio? Like yeah. which place is my home? So I guess I feel it the most in terms of, I honestly feel it a lot in terms of transportation. And mm-hmm. I hate the fact that when I get home, I'm not walking anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like I really miss the exercise and just like seeing a neighborhood getting from point A to point B. Instead, you're like getting in a car. And yes, of course, there's some convenience to that. That's really nice. But I just I miss the activity. I miss the pace of yeah. life in New York. I, I before I moved here, someone was like, New York is like a very quickly moving stream And when you move Mm -hmm. here, you jump in and you're like, oh, this is moving really fast. And then eventually the pace of the stream feels normal. And when you leave, you're like, why is everything so slow? (laughs) Yeah. I remember there was one time um, several years ago um, that I went back home. And the thing about Colorado, right, is there's a lot, a lot of open space. It's a big state it's not super populated in parts of it Mm -hmm. that sort of translates into people giving each other a lot of space Mm. so I remember being at a coffee shop I was standing maybe like five or six feet from this person and this person like moved a little bit closer to get something and he was like sorry excuse me and I was like you are literally four feet from me like why are you even and it was just the funniest thing because I was like I'm so used to people being like inches from me all the time that it didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't it took me a little bit to figure out like why like what is he even apologizing for Mm. you know Mm -hmm. that was one thing I remember but I also you know I think the, the pace of life is for sure something I notice when I get home. And I always welcome it at first because I'm tired. Yes. And it's nice to just chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, where my parents are, there's literally nothing to do. So in terms of, like, outside the house. So, like, there's no restaurants. There's no movie theater. Like, mm-hmm. you would have to drive a ways to get there, like, hours. Um, so we cook every meal at home. I mean, there's... We might go out to eat once or twice um, in one of the neighboring towns, but mostly we're home. Um, we're cooking. There's no takeout. Mm-hmm. It's we play cards in the evening. You know, I mean, it's just it's very slow and I really like it for a while. And then I start to. Um, yeah. You know, I start to be like, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's that's definitely something that I notice. Um my family is similar. I would say my parents don't eat out very much. They don't really go to the movie theaters. 
So when I'm home, it's mostly home cooked meals. And initially that's really nice because I feel like I eat Mm -hmm. out too much in New York. And then at some point I'm like, and this is going to sound so snobby, but I'm like, yeah, but culturally, what is there to do here? (laughs) You know, like, yeah, because there's such a glut of museums and concerts and parks and restaurants in New York, you do feel like it really is kind of the cultural hub of the country. It is. And if that's important to you, you would, you, I, I definitely notice the lack of it when I go home. I do too. And I do hate when I'm in New York, I hate it when people have that attitude of like, we're the center of the world, you know, and people in New York are so much better and more cultured and more interesting. And, you know, I don't like that snobbiness in New York. And then I have to fight it in myself when I leave. Both of us have had the experience of almost having to be ambassadors to both Mm. groups. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I will defend New York to people at home who who are like, oh, it's godless. It's just expensive. It's materialistic. Right. And then if anybody here is like, oh, flyover country, why would anybody want to live there? I'm like, those are my parents, Tim and Karen. Back <laughs> off, Jim. Well, our guest today knows what it's like to defend New York to folks back home. But before we hear from Elizabeth Passarella, I thought it'd be fun to do a little self-diagnostic test. These are signs we know we need a break from New York. And signs that we're definitely ready to come back to New York. (laughs) Okay, Roxy, so what are some signs that crop up for you or like, I need to get out of the city? I start craving chicken fried steak from Cracker Barrel. Mm, And there are no Cracker Barrels here. I've looked. I have also (laughs) faced this craving. Uh, Your savings account is in the single digits. You ask the Uber driver if he'll let you drive for a bit. Signs it's time to leave when $450 for a pair of shoes seems reasonable. Been there. Also, when you go to the river just to try and catch a glimpse of sky without skyscrapers. When you blow your nose and it's like dirt. <laughs> Cross. Have you not had that? You know, where it's like, oh my gosh, I've been inha- inhaling so much like city dirt and dust. Uh, Yeah, that's not, that sounds like a sign. What about signs you're ready to go back to New York. Well, inevitably, around this time of year, my waistline at least starts to look a little bit casserole That's usually a sign I'm ready to get back to some healthier food and some walking, <laughs> additional mm. walking. I can tell when my uh, fingers constantly have a little orange tint on the ends of them from all the Cheeto dust. Like Cheetos are in abundance at your house. Ever present. It's a wonderful treat, and then I don't want any more. Fair enough. Usually a sign is when I'm ready to stop watching Seinfeld reruns and start living more like Seinfeld. Hi, Dad. Good one. When I realize it's been two weeks since I put on outdoor shoes. (laughs) Or hard pants. Or hard pants. Also known as jeans. (laughs) It's usually a sign. I'm ready to come back to New York when the only coffee shop, so to speak, within a 20-mile radius is, uh, is Starbucks. Maybe I'm a snob, but I can only do the pumpkin spice latte for so long. 
Yeah, there's no coffee shop in a 20-mile radius of my parents. So for me, it's when I just cannot do another Keurig. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit touched if... I'm touched, if a little bit embarrassed, that your parents use a Keurig. Yeah, it's it's kind of new. It's like the last two or three years. Well, I'm ready to go back to New York when I'm ready to have my own space and stop feeling like a teenager at my parents' house. Definitely. No offense, mom and dad. Yes, no offense, mom and dad. And I am actually really excited to come home in a few weeks. Me too. Elizabeth Passarella is a Memphis native, an editor at Southern Living Magazine, and author of the book Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. I think it's impossible for New York not to make your faith stronger. Having proximity to so many different walks of life, not being the mainstream, not being the majority all the time, and I think being exposed just to more poverty and being exposed to people who were very different from me, not like me, it grows your empathy, it expands your understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like, and that can only be a good thing. She reached out to say she felt like we'd have a lot to talk about. And she was right. Elizabeth is one of those rare souls who knew New York was home right away. Our conversation with Elizabeth is coming right up after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. If you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, one of the best ways to support us is by donating to Religion News Service. RNS is a nonprofit newsroom and relies on reader support. Right now, you can donate through Newsmatch at religionnews.com. And if you're enjoying Saved by the City, do be sure to throw us a rating or a review. It goes a long way to help get the word out about the show. Or shoot us an email at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We're so glad to be joined today by Elizabeth Passarella, fellow New Yorker, author of Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York, and a magazine editor. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Roxy. So you identify as a Southern Evangelical. I don't run into many of those in New York on a regular (laughs) basis. We're few and far between, yeah. (laughs) So you grew up in Memphis. Your family is from Mississippi, Do you still consider yourself a Southerner? And how can you tell in a place like New York that you are definitely a Southerner? Ooh, New York is home for sure. But I I still identify as a Southerner. I think it's sort of like if you were born in another country and you moved to the United States, you would always identify with that culture. You would always Mm -hmm. identify with that upbringing. There is a connection to Southern culture whether that's through literature, I mean, Southern writers that are mm-hmm. always have always been my favorite, uh, food traditions for sure are a big part of, of my culture. But I think that's the same with anybody. But the funny thing about New York City, and my husband and I talk about this all the time, you drive not even an hour outside of New York City. Yeah. And you could be in Arkansas 
or yeah. rural Mississippi. I mean, one of the things I love about New York is, um, but also just the country in general. I think people stop, talk so much about blue state, red state, northern, northeast, southern, but really it's kind of urban rural. So you mm-hmm. get outside of New York City an hour and you will hear country music. There will be people wearing cowboy boots. Um, <laughs> it's it's definitely... Yes. It's it's not far away. It's not far away wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that speaks to the dynamic of New York sometimes feeling like a bubble. So it it tends to convince you that New York is the center of the universe, which okay. maybe it, it is. It is. It is. It's okay. To say. <laughs> We're all friends here. Whenever I need to get in touch with Colorado roots, like getting out of the city and going for a hike or something, upstate New York not very far from New York City, is so beautiful. The hikes are amazing. When you think about trying to stay in touch with your Southern roots, how do you do that? What do you do living in New York City to feel to still feel like connected to the things that you value about how you grew up in the South? Sure. Well, for starters, there's a lot of Southerners in New York. That's true. I went to a really small all-girls Episcopal high school. I graduated with, I think, 40, 42 uh, girls And at one point, when we were a few years out of college, there were 10 of us living in New York City. So a quarter of our class all Mm. lived up here. So there Mm -hmm. are a lot of Southerners here. My mom still lives in Memphis. Uh, We go down there a couple times a year. We'll spend a couple of weeks there in the summer. My dearest, closest friends are still my friends that I have had from preschool all the way through school. So several of them live in Memphis and in the South. My sister lives in Charleston, South Carolina. We spend a lot of time down there. It is really important to me, too. I have to say it's really, really important to me that my children feel comfortable in the South, are familiar with Southern culture. You know, I write about this in the book, but manners are very, very important to me. It's Mm -hmm. hard in New York with kids and manners. It's just not culturally. Um, My kids went to a school for many years, their elementary school, where they called all of their teachers by their first names. It drove me bananas, bananas. (laughs) I hated it. I would not like that Um, either. Now, oh, I did not like it at all. My kids make fun of me because I make small talk with just everyone. I, I, I love to talk to strangers. I feel really comfortable talking to people in stores, talking to people on the bus. And that's a Southern trait. I think mm-hmm. that aspect of being pleasant and listen, there are downsides to that too, but just putting on a, a smile, putting on a nice face, being pleasant to your neighbors, making small talk with the people in your community. I think that Southerners do that really well. And that is something that I really want my kids to be good at. And so that, coupled with manners, we write a lot of thank you notes. Um, Hmm. Those are all things that are really important to me. You talked about some unfair stereotypes about Southerners that New Yorkers might have, but obviously the stereotypes run in the other direction. (laughs) It's it's easy to stereotype whole swaths of the country. When you decided to move to New York and, you know, since then, what are some of the stereotypes that you've encountered from people in the South about New Yorkers and what are your defenses? Like, how do you respond to some of those stereotypes? Well, there's a few. You know, I was listening to an episode of Pantsuit Politics, which is another podcast that I love, mm-hmm. and they were interviewing uh, David French and they were talking mm-hmm. about elite institutions. They were talking, they were having a discussion about colleges. But what he, he said something that was so impactful to me, and it's so true, that people from the South are actually, they come to New York. They might not come all the time, but they've come, a lot of them have come to New York and spent time here. They've spent a holiday up here. They've gone to a show. So it's more likely that people in the South are actually really familiar or at least have had some interaction with culture in, these, in the Northeast than the other way around. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of New Yorkers who have gone and just spent a weekend in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or yeah. Memphis, Tennessee, or Ripley, Mississippi, or any of these places. So it's so I think that yes, New Yorkers need to be a little more humble about that. That they probably haven't don't aren't nearly as familiar with Southern culture as Southerners are familiar with New York culture. But in terms of stereotypes, obviously the space thing is an issue. I mean, people are always so surprised and a teeny tiny bit judgmental that they think we're raising our children in a place where they can't ride bikes around the cul-de-sac. Well, Mm -hmm. my kids ride bikes. Um, We have Central Park. There are so many opportunities. It is different. It's not supposed to be the same everywhere. We are supposed to be having different experiences in different parts of the country. So I think that people believe up here that there's, and this is evident in how many people come up here trying to plant churches, that it's kind of a godless city. Right. Which is definitely not true. And then one thing that that gets under my skin is that people think, oh, kids grow up too fast there. They're just exposed to so much. And that is one that as a parent, I actually really, really enjoy. And I love getting into that Mm -hmm. conversation with people because... Yes, my children are super independent. Do they, are they exposed to certain things, ways of thinking that don't necessarily line up with our values? Yes, all the time. And I would so much rather that happen when they're young and they're in my house and I can have conversations with them and we can discuss it than if they went to college having never experienced those things. Mm-hmm. So I love, love raising children in this city. And I definitely think that is something that takes people by surprise and that people have a little bit of a misconception about. I do think about my friends who are parents sometimes when I'm riding the subway and there's an ad for like personal lubricant. I'm like, yes, yeah, erectile yeah. dysfunction. Yeah, I might, yeah. <laughs> I might feel, you know, I just ignore it. But as a parent, I might feel a little annoyed, like, oh, does this need to be in our faces? And at the same time, as you said, Elizabeth, you know, if your kid asks, well, some of it probably goes totally over their heads, right? But also, if they ask questions, then you can have a conversation instead of thinking about trying to shelter them until they're 18. And then they're really thrown into a big world and maybe don't have the resources to navigate it. And let me tell you, if your child is old enough to read, and they can see that ad on the subway, and they actually pay attention, they've probably already heard about sex on the playground. So you need to be having that discussion (laughs) anyway. Um, Yes, I, I mean, that is that is true. And you know, there are things that my kids are being are, are hearing at school or dealing with with friendships that, yeah, they're not sheltered, but I think that's okay. Their home life and what happens within the four walls or of our of our family life and our apartment and with two parents who love them and care about them and siblings is so much more important and so much more impactful. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm alone in that or maybe I'm rare, but the sheltering your children thing is just uh, not my not my mo. Do you still have friends and family worried about your faith <laughs> or or I should say your politics? <laughs> um, like those are two very different things, Caitlin. These days um, are <laughs> fair enough. They get inflated they a lot these be. days. They should be. Do you they still have be. like you know people in your life who are who are concerned, you know, about how New York has changed you? Not so much. No, not anymore. I've been here long enough and I'm old enough and I don't care enough. I don't think people are worried about me anymore. Uh, my mom is the same level of worried that she's always been and always will be. <laughs> you know, I think for I'm fortunate in the sense that most of my dearest, most beloved friends who are still live in the South, who are believers, 
they might not vote like I do all the time, but they are they are farther in the middle or towards my end of the spectrum, or at least can definitely understand and appreciate the mm-hmm. way I think politically. So I, mm-hmm. I am lucky in that sense. My mother um, is still very conservative and very much a Republican. Uh, she does not worry about my faith, I don't think. She worries about my safety. She thinks yeah. New York is that I'm That's going a to mom. be murdered on every street corner, mm-hmm. even though, as I say, the, the crime in Memphis, where she lives, is so much worse than the crime mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to phase her. And listen, I have a big mouth. I'm a talker. It's not like I'm a mystery to anyone. Everyone was very aware very early on in my college and post-college life what I believed and what I cared about and the way I thought about things. And so I don't think it's a it's a mystery to anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. When you think about your early years in New York, when did you really start to notice, like, there are ways New York is shaping me or changing me? When I moved to New York directly after college, I almost immediately felt like it was home. Hmm. And... I have never felt otherwise, even during the pandemic when people were leaving, when I had Mm -hmm. kids and young kids, and it is so hard and there's so much (laughs) physical sort of exhaustion and labor that's involved in sort of schlepping children around the city. Mm -hmm. All these times where I think it would have been really easy to leave, I did not want to. I feel very, very, very deeply rooted in the city and very deeply called to the city and have never felt, you know, an inkling to want to leave. And I'm really grateful for that. I think that's a mercy. So I felt like New York was really changing me from from day one. Growing up in the 80s in the South, I had a lot of self-confidence when it came to my schoolwork, my intelligence. I was smart. I made good grades. I had friends. I was talkative. I was well-liked. I did not have that kind of confidence with boys. I went to an all-girls school. I was kind of awkward. I was a loudmouth. I never had boyfriends. Nobody ever liked me. And I think that New York really gave me a lot of self-confidence in Mm -hmm. all of those areas, but there were certain things about my personality that maybe were a little too much for kind of the the Southern lady that I wasn't, but they were not too much for New York. I mean, I was a magazine editor, writer. That's what I wanted to do. Obviously, New York was kind of the epicenter of that. So my career was moving and I had really lovely work opportunities and experiences. So that gave me a lot of self-confidence. And then faith-wise, I think it's impossible for New York not to make your faith stronger. If you find a community and a church and, you know, you really dig into kind of being part of a community in New York, I feel like having proximity to so many different walks of life, not being the mainstream, not being the majority all the time. And I think being exposed just to more poverty and being exposed to people Mm -hmm. who are very different from me, not like me. It grows your empathy. It expands your understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. And that can only be a good thing, I think, for for a person of faith. Mm -hmm. The holidays are coming up. How much of your Southern roots are you bringing into your Christmas celebrations and how much has kind of New York shaped the way that your family observes holidays and has these kind of, you know, have probably built your own rituals? So I should say my dad was Jewish, so I did not grow up in kind of a stereotypical evangelical Christian home, even though my mom obviously was a believer. Uh, We went to church every Sunday with her. We were raised in the church, but my dad's Jewish. Christmas for us was always with my mom's side of the family. One of her best friends, when she and my dad got married, made her this beautiful felt and kind of sequined Star of David that goes on the top of your Christmas tree. So we always had a big, beautiful Christmas tree with the Star of David on top. And that was kind of our blended Jewish Christmas tree. <laughs> so I don't think that that influenced necessarily our Christmas traditions growing up. We had very typical, traditional Christmas things going on in the South. 
but I do think that it maybe made me have a little bit less of a tight grip on keeping certain traditions because my family was pretty flexible. And I don't think since I have lived in New York that I have had two years where I have done identical things. Mm-hmm. So I think the beauty of New York mm-hmm. is that there's so much to do, first of all. Mm-hmm. If you are young or you are single in New York and you don't make it home or you don't get to do the things that you normally were doing when you were still in school or the beauty of New York is that a lot of people are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And so you can spend time with people, friends, neighbors, whatever it is. And there's so much beauty and joy in that, that I think that's one of the wonderful things that's come out of New York. So yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't really hold on tight to too many traditions. And listen, if there's anything we have learned in the past year, it's that we can do things really, really differently and maybe a way we did not want to do. And we all survived. What do you love about New York Christmas? Oh gosh. Um, There's a lot of things. I love the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. When you round the corner on like 51st Street and you see it for the first time, it is, it takes your breath away every time. And I've lived here a long time. It's great. You know, I write in the book, there's an entire chapter at the end of the book called Jesus and the Radio City Rockettes. I love the Rockettes. (laughs) It's very Christian. It's very kind of GOP nostalgia. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of like 50s nostalgia there, guys. It's very white. However... (laughs) It's super fun. It's campy. And I think it reminds you of all the like really exciting things about being in New York at Christmas. Mm -hmm. There is also, it's not happening this year. It didn't happen last year. I'm hoping it comes back. But Isaac Mizrahi does a live version of Peter and the Wolf Hmm. at the Guggenheim, at the theater at the Guggenheim. Now, Peter and the Wolf is not Christmassy. There's nothing Christmas related about Peter and the Wolf. But for some reason, they do it every year in December. And it is so delightful, and he is so funny. And I, my dad was a huge, just, he loved classical music. Peter and the Wolf was the first record he ever played for me. Um, We listened to it all the time as a kid, so I definitely have nostalgia for Peter and the Wolf. But it is always happening around Christmas time, and that is Mm -hmm. so fun. And then we would walk from the Guggenheim to the Nui Gallery, which has Cafe Sabarsky, which is kind Mm -hmm. of a little-known, little, you know, museum cafe, but it is Austrian. And it's just beautifully decorated. Mm-hmm. I love I've never the been way there that, at Christmas. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of a little off the radar sort of mm-hmm. museum cafe that has uh sausages and pastries. I love a hotel lobby. Guys, I love a hotel. Mm-hmm. Love a hotel lobby. I yes. love when they are decorated for Christmas. Yes. So yes. I just like to go out to dinner or go have a drink somewhere that has really pretty Christmas decorations. And in New York that's just everywhere. Well thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. This is a really fun conversation and Thanks for helping us remember all the the gifts of living here, even while we try to stay true to our roots. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope you both get to fly home to Ohio and Colorado if that's what you want. But if you're stuck here, it'll still be great. Thank you. Say by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We also get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty and Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.